0: That's the mixtape he handed out on the streets of downtown Oakland. In between at bats. I could potentially stitch that into something that's almost usable. You understand that.
1: Uh, I mean, I've heard crazier things when we actually tune the podcast in. I always give it a day or two to, you know, because I was there when it was recorded, and, and then it's funnier when I don't remember it. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, we said that. Football fans, it's now time for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast.
0: Here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Keith McMillan. It's the D3Football.com Around the Nation Podcast, where we're in our twelfth season of podcasting, our twentieth season of covering NCAA Division III football. We welcome you to Podcast Number Two Fifteen, Number Two One Five, where we will talk about Week Eight of the twenty eighteen Division Three football season, the edition for October twenty second, two thousand eighteen. And I'm Pat Coleman.
1: He's the editor and publisher of D3Football.com. I'm Keith McMillan, the former player or the Clinton tab to your R.J. Bowers.
0: Yeah, I probably resemble R.J. Bowers a lot more than Clinton tab, that's for sure. Uh, But we are in a sprint to the finish here in the 2018 football season. Three weeks to go until Selection Sunday, and uh, week eight served notice that we can't take too much for granted. We were just uh, like one or two upsets away from having to give Saturday some sort of name, like ESPN style, Shocker Shocker Saturday. Saturday or the
1: like, you know? Yeah, well, I'm glad we didn't have those upsets. I'm going to pass on that name as our audience is a bunch of D3 folks and smart enough to grasp the concept without a uh, cutesy little name.
0: Oh, good. I hate those things.
1: Pat, when I filed my top 25 ballot this week, only four teams I was voting for actually lost, but it felt like a lot more. Marietta's aggressive fourth and one call backfired and handed John Carroll another win in their series. Rowan actually beat Wesley, and Washington Jefferson lost at Westminster. But there was also Frostburg State tied with Montclair State with six minutes left. Barry needing double overtime to beat Millsaps, Illinois Wesleyan and North Central surviving danger, and a few near upsets outside the top 25 too. But the biggest intrigue regarding those top 10 teams that were on the ropes because an undefeated conference leader losing was one thing, and Central's first loss of the season against Wartburg was a bad one. It was 47-6 at one point. But it's those teams who've already had their one stumble who are on even shakier ground.
0: Yeah, with just five at large bids to a field of 32 playoff teams, there just isn't any margin for error. There's always going to be someone who finishes nine or one or eight and one and gets left out of the playoffs. And there are teams who are going to go nine and one without beating anybody in the NCAA's regional rankings. Those are the teams that are certainly in danger of being left out. Anytime you can kind of pull someone off that list, like Wesley came off that list on Saturday. Other people can breathe a little more easily. Never mind that Salisbury is still undefeated, of course, and still on both Wesley's schedule and Frostburg's schedule in the New Jersey Athletic Conference.
1: Yeah, a lot left still to be decided in, in the NJAC, in the American Rivers Conference, in the ODAC. There are certainly, uh, now that we get close to the end here, we're starting to see the the teams coalesce around the top. And for some conferences, someone's pulling away. and other conferences, there's still a bunch more big matchups left in Weeks 9, 10, and 11.
0: You know, Wesley's struggles on Saturday were just in getting the defense off the field. Rowan held the ball for 38 minutes. Nick Cousy, a transfer from Division II Pace, got his first uh, significant time of the season at quarterback for the Profs. He came in and really sparked the offense and, uh, you know, could be interesting. Rowan could make things interesting down the stretch, too. They have two conference losses, but, you know, they have... Uh, who knows where the end jet goes from here?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think we've got a little bit of clarity from... Montclair State playing Frostburg State, pretty tough. Montclair State is, is for real. And you can go back a week before and look at their game against Salisbury and, and decide that maybe all these teams are actually a lot more close than uh, than the rankings would suggest, where we, we started the season with uh, Frostburg State and Wesley in the top 10, and they've remained there for, for almost the entire season. And in uh, Salisbury and Montclair State, still yet to gain much steam or respect from the voters and that's because they haven't played the big games yet the schedule's backloaded and now we've got we we've got to consider Rowan uh, they're they're 5 and 2 they pulled off a, a, a really important win against Wesley so now you've got a 10 team conference with five legitimate playoff possibilities in it
0: Barry, uh, as we mentioned, uh, went to double overtime at home against Millsaps. You know, Barry is undefeated. They're undefeated in the SAA, the Southern Athletic Association, with a head-to-head win against Center, who's a game behind them. So, you know, Barry losing would not necessarily have uh, done much for the, you know, to the at-large picture, but it would have made things interesting in terms of Seating and you know would put them in danger of a, if they took a second loss similarly for W&J that's a loss that doesn't really affect the at-large race right now because the presidents are still in control of their own destiny in fact yeah I'm going to drop this in there because we've used it how many times before one might say they're the, of the
1: Pat I think center is one of the teams that was probably most excited when it looked at their results from Saturday when they they saw that Wesley loss because you go back to either Monday's podcast from last week or maybe it was the Friday podcast, Pat, but you listed the how strong Pool C was looking once uh, St. John's beat St. Thomas. You're looking at St. Thomas, Hardin-Simmons, Wesley, second team from the WIAC, which based on this weekend's results, probably going to be UW-Oshkosh, and then John Carroll, which is, uh, had a close loss with Mount Union, for the five at-large spots. Now, no guarantee that they would those five teams would shake out perfectly on the criteria and be the teams that the selection committee puts in when those teams come to the board for discussion. But in theory, five really strong teams, real strong cases from strong conferences leaves teams like center potentially on the outside looking in. They could finish nine and one, be stuck behind Barry in the SAA and not have the win over regionally ranked opponents, not have the strength of schedule, the head to head, the common opponents to to overtake one of those five strong teams so they see they see wesley lose on saturday and suddenly um you know teams they get their hopes up and i I think there are other there are a couple other races um you mentioned w and j case western reserves is is hanging right behind w and j there are going to be teams like that as we get through the last three weeks here who are not just hoping to win their games on saturdays but looking at the results across the country hoping teams like wesley like john carroll don't win on saturdays
0: Center is a, a team that actually has some really good numbers right now because Hanover is currently 5-2, and two, but Hanover finishes the season with uh, its three strongest opponents in the HCAC. Uh, Maryville is 4-2. and two. Uh, They have yet to play Averett, They have yet to play NC Wesleyan. So there's, a, of course, when we talk about a lot of things yet to be de- decided, some of those things, uh, even though they don't involve Center or even though they, they don't directly involve a team that is in playoff contention, you know, some of the things that happened to the teams that they played earlier in the season could affect their strength of schedule. We are going to have a conversation uh, later this week with uh, Jim Catanzaro. He's the head coach at Lake Forest College, but as you may know from previous podcasts, he is also the chair of the Division Three Football National Committee. I think uh, he and Keith are going to have some conversations about hip-hop that I'm not going to understand, and then uh, we'll have a conversation about the uh, football playoffs that maybe I might understand.
1: That's funny. Should make a separate pod out of it, like break out a twenty-minute.
0: Yeah. Never mind. Never mind. I'm I'm all for having another pod, especially that one where I don't have to talk. I could just uh, edit in real time. It would be uh, it'd be much faster. Um, we had uh, what's the other things that happened on Saturday, right? You talked about uh, the Central Warper game. I think we're going to talk about that coming up in a little bit. Of course, we'll also uh, hand out our game balls. And we'll talk about our teams on the rise and on the fall in the D3Football.com Top 25. Because even though, as Keith mentioned, not a lot of teams on his ballot actually lost and not a lot of teams on many people's ballots actually lost, two big ones did when Wesley lost and when w lost. They plummeted through the poll, so we, uh, we know where they landed. You can see that on the website, but we'll talk a little bit about how everything around them kind of reacts as well. This seems like as good a time as any to mention that the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast is currently sponsored by nobody. You could be reaching an audience full of decision makers in Division Three football, coaches who are in need of new equipment, who can influence decisions to replace turf, upgrade a stadium, you know, all sorts of things around a football program. There's a lot of money that goes into supporting a football program, and you can, you know, have people spend their money with you by sponsoring the d3football.com around the nation podcast Keith and I would wax poetic about your product or your service right here as we go to break so think about it drop us a line at pat.coleman at d3sports.com and now it's time for game balls and Keith my game ball goes to a guy who didn't have the top numbers of the day but he had key numbers in a big game and that's John Mannion senior running back for Rowan he had 19 carries for 156 yards, including three touchdowns in that win against Wesley. And that includes a big run in the third quarter. Right after Wesley had taken a 27 14 lead, Mannion busts out a 77 yard touchdown run on the next play from scrimmage to immediately make it a one score game again. His first touchdown was in the second quarter. It tied the game at 14. While his final TD came with 8.09 left in the third and gave Rowan the lead it would never relinquish.
1: Pat, whenever you, you nominate a running back, even if it's a guy who doesn't have the top numbers of the day, by extension, you also uh, are giving the game ball to his offensive line. And the reason I make that caveat, I will make clear in just a second here. I was tempted to give my game ball to that Brockport run defense for holding Buffalo State to negative 48 yards, but I think we've mentioned the Golden Eagles run defense a few times already this season. So how about we hand the game ball to Western Connecticut's Kyle McKinnon, who scored two touchdowns and converted two point two two point conversions say that two times fast. He scored two touchdowns and had two two two-point conversions, and that was just in the four overtimes against Bridgewater State. McKinnon also opened the scoring in that game with a touchdown run and scored with two minutes left to send the game into overtime at 28. Other guys had gaudier numbers. Shoot, the Bears' Nick Santavica carried 42 times for 183 yards and three touchdowns, and McKinnon only had 72 yards to go with his four touchdowns. But those clutch scores are the difference between the playoffs and not. For a team from a conference that will probably only put one team in the postseason, and it could be the difference in the matchup that they get. When Western Connecticut looks back on the story of this season, McKinnon's runs and a 50-48 victory will be a big part of the story.
0: Western Connecticut remains undefeated. Remember the last time Western Connecticut ran the table? They were in the Freedom Football Conference. Uh, Western Connecticut fans probably don't want to remember what happened after that uh, 10-0 start. That's a deep cut. It's a deep cut but it was referenced on the uh, d3boards.com earlier t- uh on Sunday so it is it is fresh in my mind. Gotcha.
1: I am I was still- like you knowing that off the top of your head is crazy.
0: Well, and here's the reason why I do know it off the top of my head. Do you remember what the message board was like back in 1999
1: and and et cetera? <sighs> Internet etiquette was not as uh, built into regular life as it was as it is now uh, back then.
0: Well, I had a a couple of uh, Western Connecticut fans who were uh, threatening to meet me on the 50-yard line at the Stag Bowl. Uh, I have been on the 50-yard line at every Stag Bowl since, and I keep waiting for Rodman to show up, and I know Rodman is in like his late 30s now. Believe it or not, here's a total tangent from the tangent from the tangent here, but uh, I heard from Jim Stout the other day. You remember Jim Stout, right? He used to cover the Northeast for us back in those days. I remember Jim well. He he runs into Rodman every once in a while, and uh, including in the past couple of weeks. So the guy is, you know, at least he's free. Does he still
1: does he still want to get it on? That's the big question.
0: I uh, I will be there. I'm always there. You can meet me on the fifty yard line. Whatever your guy's name is from Danbury, Connecticut. team on the rise in the poll this week is rpi the engineers uh, moved up from 19 to 17 and while that's due in large part to wesley and WJ falling in the poll rpi has also gotten past two of its biggest challenges for the liberty league automatic bid in its past two games edging past ithaca in week six and defeating hobart on saturday so rpi doesn't have a schedule which would permit it to really move up further in our top 25 but it remains unbeaten with two more games to go before it plays union for the dutchman shoes in week 11
1: for my riser, UW Oshkosh shot back into the top 10 for me and moved from 12 to 10 overall with its win over UW Lacrosse. And even though the Eagles picked up their second D3 loss in the 24 13 Titans win, I keep them ranked largely because of an early season win over Illinois Wesleyan. I have no idea what the rest of the voters are looking at when it comes to interpreting that UW Lacrosse Illinois Wesleyan result and all the results on the CCIW. North Central is somehow 12th this week, IWU 15th, and Wheaton dropped out of the poll, even though Wheaton beat North Central by 22 and Illinois Wesleyan beat Wheaton. We don't get to sort out the North Central IWU thing until November 3rd, so for the meantime, I have Illinois Wesleyan and La Crosse anchored in the top 15, Wheaton in the top 20, and North Central not back in the top 25 just yet.
0: I think the Wheaton dropping out thing is something we talked about last week, right? There's Sometimes there's a delayed reaction uh, you know, there'll uh, be a few voters who maybe don't necessarily realize the full implication of, hey, Wheaton lost to Wash U. Oh, Wash U is someone I should consider. Oh, I move Wash U up. I have to move Wheaton down. Of course, then Wash U in the intervening time loses and makes things all messy. In all honesty, I don't know what the rest of the voters are looking at either because it is impossible to make logical sense of that entire thing. But I can tell you between, you know, just between that CCIW and YX uh, stuff. But I can tell you that you and I are most of UW lacrosse's points. Actually, I have them in the exact same spot on my ballot as you do, because I went back and checked how they could possibly have so many points and only be on three ballots. Uh, Anyway, Mm. North Central, Barry, Whitworth, IWU, Trine are all within 23 points of each other, which is basically crammed into the space of uh, the average space of one spot on each person's ballot.
1: I think all this stuff sorts itself out over time, too. But it's interesting where we stand right now.
0: Well, the nice thing is we have a lot of interplay between teams, and that helps us, even if it doesn't help everybody in the same way, I guess. I don't know. That wasn't flying. That was falling with style. My team, which will take a fall in the poll, is Frostburg State. With three teams tightly packed, uh, last week up high, too, between the, the four, five, and six spots, it wouldn't take much for some shuffling to take place, and... Frostburg, St. John's, and UW-Whitewater were just six points apart in those three spots last week, and with Frostburg posting another slow start and another narrow victory, the voters adjusted. Here's what Frostburg coach Delane Fitzgerald had to say to In the Huddle's Frank Rossi after the game on Saturday.
1: The, the head coach has to do a better job coaching this football team. We're going to crank things up in practice this week and over the next three weeks. We're going to have a lot more spirited practices than we've had lately, and we're going to get their minds right and get things turned around. Our players have to start listening to the coaching staff and stop reading the newspaper clippings. They have to stop reading that we're number four in the country and start understanding that self-improvement and team improvement trump everything else in this game.
0: Keith, I hear Fitzgerald say more spirited practices, and I hear tougher practices, but at least they won't be reading about themselves being the number four team in the country anymore. Now they're the number six team. Well, Pat, I have
1: Frostburg number six on my ballot, and I actually ponder dropping them from that spot this week. But as I went back and looked at everything they've done this season, they've beaten Wesley Rowan, Montclair and Stevenson. That's four teams who currently have five wins. And I didn't feel like St. Thomas or Harden Simmons had any number of wins that impressive. So Frostburg stayed put and I dropped John Carroll, which honestly won a game. It should have lost.
0: So we have another sidebar. Let's sidebar again here. John Carroll versus Wittenberg was a conversation that came up in the comments. I know don't read the comments. We try to keep our comments kind of clean and sane, But in the comments on the poll, that was one of the things that uh, people had a conversation about. And I thought, you know, the difference between Wittenberg struggling to beat Dennison and John Carroll struggling to beat Marietta, I felt like still gives an edge to John Carroll, for example. I don't know if where you have John Carroll versus Wittenberg, but I know that if you get in general to start pushing John Carroll further down, at least in the total ranking, you're going to run into Wittenberg.
1: Yeah, I have John Carroll seven spots higher than, than Wittenberg on the ballot right now. So uh, they're both between 10 and 20 for me at this point. And I, I think you still got to give John Carroll a lot of credit for how it played against Mount Union. Remember, the Purple Raiders needed two defensive touchdowns to win that game 23-10. So you're looking at basically Mount Union that scores 50, 60, 70 on everyone else every single week, You know, almost with its eyes closed, struggled to, to score into the double digits against John Carroll. I think, um, you know, the way they played against Marietta for as much grief as we'll give Marietta for going for it on fourth and one from its own 34-yard line with 6.52 left in the game. They went for it. They got stuffed in the backfield. John Carroll took over, drove for the go-ahead touchdown. Marietta um, then at that point was only down by a field goal, couldn't move the ball, ended up losing that game. You do give John Carroll credit for hanging in that game being able to to sort of fight through everything in the fourth quarter. You give them credit for making the, the the stop on fourth and one because if Marietta converts there, maybe they put together a long drive that kills a bunch of clock, changes field position, and, and John Carroll doesn't go ahead. So I give John Carroll credit for the Mountain Union game, for this Marietta win, and for some of their wins in, in the interim. Um, and I think they just play a much tougher schedule than Wittenberg.
0: Marietta definitely did not come out ahead rolling the dice on Saturday, but I still think they're at a net positive. They had to roll the dice a couple of times just to get to 6-0 and and be in that position to be there on Saturday.
1: Well, the interesting thing about Marietta, too, is now they're behind John Carroll in the what we would call the Pool C race, and they still have to play. their home against Baldwin Wallace next week, then they're at Otterbein, and they finish the season at Mount Union.
0: Marietta just being in the pool sea race, being in that conversation is a a big step forward for that program. For my off-the-beaten-path highlight, I'm going to Kings Point, New York, which I know you've driven to, Keith, and it's definitely off-the-beaten-path. Even if if it's right across the bay from, I don't know, we're going to say Manhattan, I'm not sure. But you cross the Throgs Neck Bridge, you stop and you kind of start your way, stop and start your way along the Cross Island Expressway, work your way through Little Neck, New York, and eventually reach the campus of the U.S. Merchant Marine Academy. That's where the Mariners rallied from a 24-zip halftime deficit and defeated WPI 25-24 on Saturday. Merchant Marine rallied from a halftime deficit last week to beat Springfield and scored 20 points in the fourth quarter to defeat Norwich the previous week. On Saturday, it was Christian Abbott's two-yard touchdown run with 38 seconds left that capped the latest comeback, which included drives of 16 plays, 12 plays, 8 plays, and 15 plays. And Merchant Marine improved to 6-1. and
1: one. Having been on both sides of those Big comebacks where you lose a big lead or you uh you come back from from behind late in a game. Those are the ones you always remember for uh for your career and beyond. For my off-the-beaten path highlight, I considered Colby's game-winning field goal against Hamilton with 13 seconds left, or TCNJ scoring the game winner against Kane with 57 seconds left in a 13-8 win. But the most impressive highlight outside the top 25 was really a set of four. The league, known nationally for its parity, perhaps just played the most exciting week in Division Three history. No hyperbole. All eight ODAC teams scored at least 35 points and were involved in a game decided by three points or fewer. Shenandoah scored a touchdown with eight seconds left, but Emory and Henry held on the two-point conversion attempt and hung on to win 52-50. Hampton-Sydney kicked the field goal to beat Guilford 38-35 as time expired. Washington-Lee kicked the field goal to beat Farron by the same score with the same three zeros on the clock. And randolph Burke SC's executed a play-action fake in double overtime to throw a game-winning touchdown pass to Robbie Owens to get the Yellow Jackets past Bridgewater, 44-41. In all, there were 14 scoring plays of 30 yards or longer in ODAC games this weekend, no combined score lower than 73 points, and the total to point differential in four conference games was 11 points.
0: Well, It's a good thing we got my alma mater out of that league because they would not have been able to keep up. For my most surprising result on Saturday, I'm going with UW-Eau Claire snapping its 13-game WIAC losing streak. The win in and of itself is not so surprising. We predicted in kickoff that Eau Claire would snap that streak this season. But uh, the fact that the Blue Golds defeated Platteville to do it is definitely a surprise. Platteville has won at least seven games for seven years running and has mostly gone 5-2 and two in the WIAC in that span. Losing to Eau Claire leaves the Pioneers at 4-3, and 2-2 two and two in the league, and will make it nearly impossible to continue that run with Whitewater waiting in Week 11. Platteville turned the ball over seven times, helping Eau Claire win 40-16 to 16 with just 248 yards of total offense.
1: Yeah, maybe some carryover effect for, for Platteville after the Oshkosh loss. My most surprising result has to be the Wartburg shellacking of Central, which came into the ARC rivalry game 7-0 and barely scored seven points. The Knights scored 41 unanswered in the second and third quarters and blew open a game and a conference race. Central lost quarterback Blaine Hawkins in the early going, while Wartburg's Matt Satia threw five touchdown passes. You've now got a four-way tie atop that division, a conference or a league, whatever you want to call it. Wartburg has lost to Simpson, Central's losses to Wartburg, Simpson's losses to Central, and Dubuque's losses to Central, but they still face Simpson and Wartburg.
0: Yeah, lots of games uh, or some games left to be played, obviously. It was a crazy windy day down in Waverly. Uh, I think the difference was Warburg played confident when they were going into the wind and Central just tried to play to avoid it. They took the wind in the fourth quarter rather than taking the second half kickoff. And uh, here's what Rick Willis had to say about it. I think it was very important for us just to show ourselves, you know, for us, everybody to understand that we were going to be able to function in a somewhat normal way when we were going against the wind. And th- those early passes, I think, proved that and settled, made everybody have a little confidence. Uh, the wind causes you to think about a lot of different things. And I don't know if there is any really right or wrong decisions on that. But um, you know, we thought about a lot of different things, too. And so uh, you know, we were fortunate that you know we felt like we could move the ball even when we were against the wind. And, and that proved to be the case. For my stat of the week, Keith, Earlham had its best offensive day of the season with 384 yards of total offense and 20 points. Of course, that wasn't nearly enough to end the losing streak, and Franklin racked up 789 yards of total offense en route to a 64-20 victory. But the Quakers have a bye week, and they host winless Defiance in Week 10. Are you saying there's a chance? So you're telling me there's a chance. If you look at the Franklin game against Defiance and the Franklin game against Earlham, one would say that maybe... Earlham has a chance to snap that 51-game losing streak when they reconvene with Defiance on November 3rd. Uh,
1: Another view is if you read Adam Ter's Read and React on Sunday, a lot of it was about Franklin, and it's somewhat nice guy traditions that uh, that Mike Leonard has enacted, and maybe they were just being really nice by letting Earlham gain 384 yards and score 20 points.
0: Would they also have been nice to Defiance, though? I don't know. I'm just
1: making it up. For my stat of the week, Grinnell's Ryan Slager had an 18 tackle day to get to 561 for his career, which is a new Division III mark, passing Luther's Kyle McGivney. Assuming he finishes the year, he'll set the record possibly past 600. And while I'd be lying if I said I'd watch Slager play, I do think he's a great example of the backbone of D3, the heart and soul. There are more than 20,000 players on D3 rosters in a given season, and there are great players who toil in relative obscurity, not Mount Union or St. John's or even Warburg or Central. They might be there because that's where they want to be. That's where they want to study. Or maybe that's the only place that wanted them. And then they embraced the opportunity and became a pretty good football player. In any case, salute to the good guys, the heart and soul players, the guys who most definitely could contribute to a stag ball team or play a bit of scholarship ball, but make the big time where they are.
0: Your categories have become tiresome. Now's the time on Spockets when we dance. Now is the time on the podcast where we go to Twitter. And we start with a tweet from uh, Max. You remember him? You remember Max? At at mstella underscore 41, asking, what is the likelihood that there will be an all-east bracket in the playoffs like there was last year? Now, we saved some of our playoff questions to uh, have a conversation with uh, Jim Catanzaro, like we talked about earlier, and we will definitely uh, have some questions for him. But I wanted to pull this one out and uh, answer this myself, and and Keith can uh, chime in as well. But I know that we're in a situation last year where I think once people realized that, it was, that that was the way the bracket was constructed, I don't think it was super popular, and I believe that that is also true with people on the committee. So I think that as long as it's not impossible to avoid, I think they'll try to avoid it. I think just in general they'd want to try to be more creative than that, and for you know multiple reasons last year, it just didn't end up that way.
1: That being said, Pat, there are nine, I believe, conferences that where the champion is most likely to be an East team. And so um, there are gonna be times where the pool of teams doesn't give the committee that much flexibility. I would walk miles, and I would
0: walk more.
1: Now there always will be some flexibility in the mid-Atlantic uh, because of Mount Union's location in Ohio. To the the very eastern side of Ohio, and because a lot of the South Region teams are technically in Pennsylvania, they'll be within 500 miles of teams in the East. So, an all East bracket is—I don't—it's not a misnomer is not the right word, but it's almost like a. Um, I think I think it's something that people who know the specifics of D three maybe spend a little more time thinking about than than the fans and players because to to a lot of people you know say like Muhlenberg would be an East team even though they're technically. In the south region so um what you're the the point of the question and i think what you're probably getting at is are the top seeds going to be mixed up are the best teams in the country going to be mixed up and to be honest if brockport and frostburg state are as good as our poll says they are this season then even if there is an all east bracket it will have two pretty solid teams at the top the thing i think that gets Annoying, I guess, for lack of a better way to phrase it, over time is that the West region and, and those Texas teams, you know, Harden Simmons always has to go through Mary Harden Baylor. That's not really fair to them if they're nine and one and dominant in all their other games, or eight and one, as it were. Or if St. John's, St. Thomas, Whitewater, champion of CCIW, and all these other schools in the Midwest, the ARC champion, all, all have to play each other and then there's no kind of equal team in the third seed, fourth seed in, in the other brackets.
0: Wouldn't it be nice if we could just lift out the WIAC and place them in Massachusetts? Well, I love that
1: dirty water. It would balance things, wouldn't it? It
0: would It, it would definitely do some things. We've just made an enemy of everybody in Massachusetts, of course. Don't forget, of course, uh, you can drop us a, a, a tweet on Twitter. We'll put out the call on Sunday nights, and we can uh, take your question and we'll... Answer the best one on the podcast, and if we have 10 of them, then we'll have an extra podcast um, because that's apparently the precedent we set, and we didn't kill each other, so that was good. Every thought of yours is a friend
1: of mine. Yeah, it would be a weird podcast if one of us would kill the other the next week.
0: Keith, I thought I would stretch out this music bed to see how far and how long we could make it go. How many thoughts do you think we can get into every thought this week? I mean, it
1: depends what the time limit on thoughts are and how we chop them, because each thought could lead to another thought. And that will lead to another clue, and that will lead to another clue.
0: That's the best part of thoughts. I don't know quite how long we can stretch this out, but Susquehanna is stretching the games out once again. Uh, fourth overtime game in the past five weeks. Still no record available from the NCAA about uh, how many overtimes a team has played in a season or how many overtime games or how many consecutive overtime games. They have to think that four overtimes in a season is quite a bit. I have a collection here, Keith, of old NCAA record books uh, and a collection of PDFs year by year so I can go back into old record books and see if you know, how a record has progressed or remind myself of old players' names and that sort of thing. But even if I go back to the oldest record book I have here, there's definitely no record for this. So I'm just asking those folks in Indianapolis to get on the horn because uh, Susquehanna has got to have a record at this point, I would think.
1: Yeah, well, four overtimes is uh, in five weeks is pretty impressive for the course of a season. I am not sure if that's a record, but it's got to be pretty close.
0: Right. I mean, right. You only have to go back to 1996 to even think about overtime. So right. that, that makes the research okay. so much easier.
1: That's the point I was I was gonna go go make. Hey, your your wife didn't make you throw out all the uh, the old record books? Recycled them at least.
0: You know, the one thing that I threw out uh, a significant amount of when we moved from Virginia to Mar- uh, to Minnesota was media guides I had a ton a ton of media guides and they all went in the recycle bin over the course of about six months in the beginning of 2008 when we knew we were moving
1: same when I moved I got it I got rid of eight Rubbermaids full of not all media guides but but you know somewhere like old sports Illustrateds and stuff you know I just kept the best covers and, uh, and and but a lot of it was d3 media guides there was a time when you were just you know August and September we would just my mailbox would have like four media guides in it every day. Yeah, exactly.
0: We could have our own collection that we could pass down to some strange person who would then sift through it 20 years later and put it on whatever the 2038 version of a podcast would be. I, I'm not sure I want to be the next Craig Burroughs, but that uh, at least was a possibility. Bates passed up on a two-point play. Possibility midway through the fourth quarter, down by eight. Ended up losing by one to Middlebury. This uh, came, uh, the uh, final score, 35-34. 8:20 left in the game, and uh, Bates is uh, Bates scores the touchdown, and they go for they kick the extra point to cut the lead to one. They got the ball back three more times and did not get a chance to get anywhere near field goal range. You know how long it's been since since Bates has had an opportunity to beat somebody like Middlebury. I don't. I don't either. It's a long time. We could get the research department on that, but you know, it's, yeah, I it's thought a you were going to come back with the answer to that question.
1: You know, what's, I'm a big, I, I'm a go You know, go for two as soon as you know you need to go for two guy. And there's um, schools of thought on it. And there's certainly analytics that that could come into play in, in either of these cases. And if anybody knew the analytics on it, probably would be someone from Bates. But this happened. They, they missed the the extra point um, on their first touchdown of the game. And, and Pat, you said it was a 35-34 game. So that was 7-6. So they could have gone for two at any point. On, on those four touchdowns that they scored in you know the middle of the game to get caught up, to figure out, you know, the logic is, the sooner you know, you you know, they say if, if you miss your two-point conversion early, then you're behind the eight ball the whole rest of the game, so you kick extra points and then go for two when you need it. Well, you pointed out that 820 point was probably when they needed it. The counterpoint to that is, like you said, they got the ball back three times. All they would have needed was a field goal to take the lead. I would rather have gone for two uh, earliest, even if it was the, the touchdown that's, you know, whatever, it's 7-6, so next one is 14, and then you're down 14-12. You still need that field goal later, but you have much more time, of much more game time to maneuver to figure out how you're going to get those points.
0: Yeah, I would never argue with you there. The the more time you have to make an adjustment, the less impact that one missed point has, right?
1: You'd think so, but if if Bates had, had done it, and then went for two at eight twenty and got it. Then you would have said they played it correctly by keeping pace with the extra points. So um, we can sit here on a Sunday night and second guess coaching decisions, <laughs> and uh, that's kind of that is what we're doing here. But um, it, sometimes they're, they're defensible.
0: Hey, at least Bates is being talked about. So that's uh, that's new. That's I don't know how often we've talked about Bates on this podcast.
1: And by the way, the argument for marietta going for it from super deep in its own territory against john carroll is if the coach feels like his defense is spent and the best way to win the game is to convert keep the keep the ball with your offense um that's the defensible position i think with a three-point lead that deep in your own territory you you punt the ball away but um Doug Peterson's got everybody crazy, man, going for it on fourth down, and it doesn't always work, so you do have to be prepared for the consequences when it doesn't
0: I remember Bethel coach Steve Johnson going for it on fourth down inside his own territory at a particularly auspicious point in the 409 game, the game at which Bethel and St. John's played in November of 2003, and John Gillardi was going for record-setting win number 409. Um, As you might note by the fact that we did get win 409 in that game, uh, that fourth down conversion did uh, did not convert. Misericordia is a team that's uh, still in the playoff hunted. We've talked about this a little bit, but uh, we did mention on a podcast last week that uh, there's a possibility of Misericordia and Delaware Valley having a uh, having a need for a tiebreaker in the Mac because uh, they could both run the table and yet not play each other. So the tiebreaker goes down. I know we're gonna get deep into tiebreaker hell here, but uh, the third tiebreaker in the MAC is like basically in conference strength of schedule or the record of the conference teams that you actually played and/or beat. Uh, so as long as Stevenson finishes ahead of FDU Florham, then Delval would win a tiebreaker between an unbeaten Delval and an unbeaten Misericordia. But you know, still, even if Misericordia seems uh, destined to not win in that tiebreaker, just the fact that Recordia has a has a late October where they're in playoff contention, or frankly, a late September when they're in playoff contention, is a huge step forward for that program.
1: Oh man, this is really the the year of all step forward years, breakout years, whatever you want to call it. We've said the stat several times now: five wins in the history of the program. They're now six and one, and keeping pace with Delaware Valley at the top of the MAC. So I think that is one of the great stories of the season, but they're not the only one, right? There are a handful of teams, Pat, across the country who either weren't getting top 25 votes at the top, at the beginning of the season or haven't been on the radar for whatever reason, but now seven games in for the most part, they'll start taking some of these teams seriously that, that we haven't talked about as playoff contenders or top 25 teams very often. I think uh, you mentioned one of them just a second ago in Bethel, which – Legitimately has a playoff shot shot. And we talk about St. John's at the front of the MIAC. Talk about St. Thomas. Uh, they were a top five team until the St. John's loss. Bethel and St. John's play in week 11 and until that game may have a pool C bid on the line unofficially.
0: Bethel and St. Thomas. That's correct. Uh, Kalamazoo is another one that's coming out of basically nowhere. They're 7-0. They're 4-0. and in the MIAA. Uh, they have yet to play Hope Trine. Uh, they will do that. Hope Trine. Those are two separate schools. I mean, those are in the final two weeks of the season. They also face Olivet. But the, just the fact that they're 7-0 right now, having already defeated Adrian, Albion, and Alma in that league is, is really impressive and would be a, a great season for Kalamazoo. Even if they finish 7-3, and they've got seven wins, or they're 7-0 for the first time since 1962.
1: And then from there, Pat, I think there are a handful of other teams who look like they're in contention, but would have to pull a major upset to really uh, be in contention. Um, Cortland is is six and one, right behind Brockport, but they still have to play Brockport. Marietta, we talked about, even after John Carroll lost six and one, technically still in playoff contention, but you still have a game at Mount Union. The whole LAC really is still technically in contention um, because Baldwin Wallace is is six and one along with John Carroll, Mountain Union, unbeaten. Some of these conferences, as we mentioned with the, when we were discussing the ARC, they'll sort themselves out over the next few weeks.
0: The knack is another good one. Uh, Eureka comes into the league, of course. They're undefeated, and we've talked about that a little bit. But uh, they're tied for the conference lead with Concordia, Wisconsin. Concordia is 6-1 and one overall. They're 4-0 in the conference. They had won one game in the conference each of the past two years, so to see both of those teams at the top of that conference uh, makes things a little bit interesting. And we've talked a little bit about Martin Luther on this podcast uh, because Martin Luther's had a bit of a surprising season. They are tied with McMurray at the top of the UMAC, and that makes things a little interesting as well. Of course, the UMAC being a team or a conference that doesn't have a defending champion. Because Eureka went to the Knack. You know all... You guys know all this. You don't need me to tell you. Yeah, of course. And this was D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast number 215, season 12, episode 16, released on October twenty second, 2018. Thanks for listening and keep an eye out for the rest of our coverage throughout the week. If you like our podcast, please consider rating it at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. They have an app for, for that now, a separate one instead of Google Play. Or, you know, Stitcher or Spotify or you know pod player name here any place you get your podcast give us a re- give us a rating give us a review we appreciate that that will put us up in the rankings of whatever category you think we fit in you can also leave comments on the blog page the executive producer of the d3football.com around the nation podcast is pat Coleman production assistance provided by dave McHugh audio from frank rossing in the huddle and our theme music is by dj mentos whom you can find at djmentos.com Thanks to our guests, Warburg Coach Rick Willis and Frostburg State Coach Delane Fitzgerald for their time on this edition of our show. And thanks, of course, to the creator of Around the Nation on D3Football.com and my co-host, Keith McMillan. You can reach us to talk more about Division Three football on Twitter using the D3FB hashtag. I'm at D3Football on Twitter and Keith is at d 3 keith we have a message board devoted to Division Three sports. Did you know? Join the conversation by registering to post with a legitimate email address at d3boards.com. Also, you can follow d3football.com on Facebook. Are we really done? I think we are. Thank you,
1: Thank you so much, everybody.